I was joking with the the praise team and the ladies yesterday that uh, Frank knew that I was a crier, um, and he put me behind Silent Night, and that wasn't very nice of him. But the honest truth was, I was so thankful he didn't put me behind Maryland, <laughs> um, because I'm pretty sure there was no way I would have stuck to six minutes, because five of that would have been me trying to pull myself together from tears. Um, but we're so appreciative of not only Maryland, but so many others that helped make that happen yesterday and gave us an opportunity to be used by God for his kingdom, to bring hope um, to some ladies that desperately needed that. Um, and so uh, it, was a, it was a great day yesterday. I'm, I was so privileged to be a part of that. I joked last week that I learned a lot about people from the mystery dinner. Let me tell you, you learn a lot about people when you spend the day in prison with them. Sometimes more than you would like. Um, and I won't embarrass anybody this morning, but I've learned a few stories that uh, have given me ample um, introduction material for the next few Sundays. Um, and so I'm very much appreciative of that um, and look forward to using that. Um, but if you're a guest this morning, uh, we do want to welcome you. We're so very thankful um, for all that you are, for you coming. Yeah, maybe I am distracted by those. <laughs> Fair, fair enough, fair enough, but we're so thankful for you coming and worshiping with us this morning. If you're a parent of a child that I just gave a noisemaker to, I apologize, that does not happen every week. <clears throat> if you're a parent of a normal attender here, I'm sure I'll get payback for that someday in the future, um, but we are glad you're here. Ma Melissa and I will be in the back, um, and so if you're a visitor, we would love to get to know you, so please take that time to come by and introduce yourself. Um, we would enjoy that a great deal. This morning, we are looking at a familiar passage in a lot of ways. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 23, and then 26 through 38. It's a rather long passage. But we're looking at two announcements by the, by the angel Gabriel. Gabriel comes first to Zacharias, the priest, to announce that he is going to have a son, John the Baptist. And then he goes to this girl, Mary, to announce to her that she is going to be the mother of the promised Messiah. And so we have these two grand announcements. And as I began to study this, it was amazing to me at least the similarities and the parallel structure that Luke uses to introduce us to these announcements. We have angel Gabriel come. We have a response of fear by both parties. We have him introducing why he has come and the message of hope that he brings then we have him explaining the name of the child and then what their ministry was going to be and then we have two questions we have a question by each person by Zachariah and Mary each asked a question at the end of that message and Gabriel responds to that message or that question sorry he responds to that question appropriately and I think it's no accident that when we see these passages that we see the similarities there because I think God is drawing our attention to the question that each person asks and so this morning that's what we're going to be focused on as we go through these passages and begin to unpack them so if you found Luke chapter 1 um, would you stand if you're able I know these are long passages so if you're not able to stand through the whole thing I understand but if you would stand to honor the reading of God's word, it's not going to be on the PowerPoint this morning, so you'll have to listen along or, or follow along in your, own, in your own Bible. But we're starting in verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, 
or Judea, there were, was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the, peop for the Lord a people prepared. And then Zechariah's question here in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. We're going to stop there, and we're going to skip down to verse 26 and look at Mary and um, the announcement that's made to her. So starting in 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord, will, Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her whom was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, and Father, we, as we begin to celebrate this Christmas season, and all that it brings with it, and all that it means, God, we are humbled to think that you stepped out of heaven 
so that you may show your love, so that you may show your grace, so you may show your mercy on a broken people like us, so that you may give to us the greatest gift that's ever been given. Lord, let us be a people who is passionate about the message that you have given us. Let us be a people that desire to proclaim the hope that has been promised to us. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that we would hear your word, that we would hear from you, not from me, not from someone else, but from you, because we are listening. pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. <clears throat> I, I really enjoyed, as I, as I began to study this week, um, these passages, I, I really enjoyed reading this because it's exciting news. When you think about Zechariah, he was praying not only for a son, but he had been praying most certainly for the people Israel. And this announcement to him would have been one that priests had been waiting to hear for more than 400 years since the prophets had stopped prophesying since the Old Testament had ended. It was even older news than that, though. God began to lay the foundation for the Messiah, for uh, the foundation for restoration of the relationship between a sinful people and himself, even in the garden, as he began to give promises to Eve. And he began to lay out his plan even in that moment. This was the culmination of everything that had come before, and it was the hope of everything that would come after. This is exciting news. This is the reason we celebrate, because our Savior has come. And yet we see in these passages two different responses to the angel Gabriel and the message that he brings. And so this morning, I want to kind of look at those people and then I want to look at their response and kind of unpack that and look to see what we can learn from these two responses. First, let's look at Zechariah. Zechariah was an interesting guy. He, first, he was a priest. He was not of the high order of priests. He was not the high priest. He was not the guy that lived in Jerusalem. He would not have held the amount of political power or influence that those guys would have held, but he would have been a respected member of his community. He would have been an educated man who would have known the scriptures. He would have been a man that people look to for answers. He would have been a man that had an opportunity to influence people for both good and bad. And yet, because, and yet in that, we see God describe these people in his word, describe not only Zechariah, but his wife, Elizabeth, as righteous. They were, they, it says that they walked blamelessly. These were folks, as, to put it in a common term, that were good church folks. They had lived the good life. They had been faithful, and they had set their focus on what the Lord had asked of them, and they had pursued it well. They are like many of you. As I look around this congregation, um, and as I think about these about different folks in this church they're like many of you who God has called out 
And he has laid before you what he would ask of you, and you have pursued him. Maybe not perfectly, maybe not as well as you would have liked at times, but you have stayed the course and you have remained faithful. And what, what a thing to be said for a lie. But their life wasn't perfect. Zachariah and Elizabeth had this hole of not having a child. If you've been around a couple, which I know many of us have, that struggle with not having children or are unable to have children, it's difficult. It's a hard time. It can bring grief. It can bring sadness. It can be depressing, and it casts a shadow in some ways. And for them, especially in this time when child-bearing children was expected, for Elizabeth, this probably would have been humiliating even. And so they had this deep longing, and I'm sure it's something that they had been praying for and praying for and praying for, but they had gotten to a point, I'm sure, that they just thought, we're, we're, we're past that point. And it's like many of us, and we'll talk about this later, but we pray and we pray and we pray for a specific thing, for a specific, it does not start with a P, a specific person, a specific thing, a specific situation, and it just seems like God is taking his time. And at some point, if you're like me, your heart begins to harden towards that thing. Your heart begins to think that maybe it's just never going to happen and you just give up and so we meet Zachariah at this place and in this context the angel Gabriel shows up Zachariah was on duty it would have been one of the two weeks during the year that he would have been in Jerusalem and he gets an honor that he had probably been waiting for since he was a boy he gets his name called to be able to go into the holy place and offer incense before the Lord. It would have been something that he would have only gotten to do once in his life. So he was at, for lack of a better term, the apex of his career. So he goes in and he offers incense and he would have been praying over that offering for the people of Israel, for their deliverance and that God would glorify himself in that. And it's during that moment that the angel Gabriel shows up and delivers this message that every priest that had come before him had waited for. And not only that, but he delivers a message to Zechariah that the prayer that he had been asking for for himself and his wife would be answered as well. It was the culmination of two things that should have caused Zechariah immense joy. If he was me, he would be crying in a puddle of tears. But Zechariah's response is not exactly what we would expect. Or maybe it is. Zechariah first, when he sees Gabriel, he is afraid. He is terrified. And if you go back through the Old Testament, this is not a new thing. This is not something surprising. When we see the Lord show up or a messenger of his show up, the common response is fear. Maybe it's because it's the unexpected. Maybe it's because Gabriel showed up in full glory. Maybe it's because when we experience the holy, we get a reflection of who we really are. 
And the natural response of that is to drive us to our knees. But no matter what it was, Zechariah is scared. And Gabriel looks at him and says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't worry. God has answered your prayer. Not only the prayer for a child, but the prayer for redemption for Israel. And he gives him this promise and this message that not only would Zechariah and his wife have a child, no less a son to carry on the family name, but that son would be the forerunner to the promised Messiah. Zechariah's heart should have exploded with joy. He should have been overwhelmed by the message that was given to him. But instead, we have this question that is, I believe, highlighted by Luke. He says in verse 18, how shall I know this? This is not a question out of humility. This is a question of doubt. He is asking for a sign. He is testing the Lord. He is forgetting what he had been educated about. See, Gabriel should have been a name that was recognizable to him because Gabriel was the one that had shown up to Daniel in that book and to that prophet. He should have recognized the name when he heard it. He should have recognized the promise. This was not the first time that God had showed up to an older couple and said, you're going to have a child. We know that story. It's Abraham and Sarah and the promise of Isaac. It shouldn't have been a shocking surprise to an educated priest. And yet, Zechariah is like so many of us that we read our word, we read the Bible, and we are dedicated to it, and we are faithful, but there's a little part of us that doubts whether that could really happen in our lives. And there's a little part of us that wonders, eh, God may not act that way anymore. And we begin to doubt him, and we begin to doubt his strength. And we forget that he has already done incredible things in our life, that he has already saved us from sin, that he has already blessed us beyond measure through a countless number of things. And if I were to ask people to stand up and say, what has God done for you today? We would have story upon story upon story that God still acts this way. Praise God that he does. But he doubts it. And he does the equivalent of looking at Gabriel and saying, prove it. As a teenage boy, you tell stories and you make boasts. And those go on and on and on until someone finally gets up the gumption to look at somebody and say, prove it. And at that point, you had better back up what you just said. Because otherwise you're going to be mocked for the rest of your life. And Zechariah has the audacity to look at this messenger that he had just been terrified of and say, prove it. Prove it. Because I'm old and my wife's old. Thank goodness Elizabeth wasn't there. I'm, I'm old, she's old, prove it. Give me a sign. And Gabriel says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. I love what he says in 19. We're going to use a little bit of imagination in how I read this. Lord, pardon me. But he says, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He says, you want a sign? You want me to prove it? Who do you think I am? I'm Gabriel. And I stand before a holy God. You want a sign? Here it is. You're going to get to think about it for the next nine months. That word mute there could also mean death. And in some cases, we have proof in other texts that it could mean both. And if you go over to, I believe it's verse 62 and look, you'll see that people had to make signs to Zechariah. The only reason you make hand gestures to someone is if they can't hear you. So he says, prove it. I want a sign. And the angel says, fine, I'll give you a sign. You're going to get to think about this in your own head for nine months about what I just said. And I believe that he made him deaf and mute. And can you imagine what that would have been like? If you hear a message like this, that we're, I'm going to have a child and he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah, your response is going to be want to run home to your wife and tell her, you're not going to believe what happened at work today. And he gets to go home and go, how was work? That's what he's got. If he can read her lips to understand the question. So Zechariah gets the sign that he asked for. And it's because his heart had become hardened. Like I said, he had gotten to that point. He was faithful. He was blameless in his walk. He was a good church-going man. But he had just gotten to that point in his life where that particular prayer, where that particular need and desire seemed out of reach. And he had just hardened his heart because it was too hard to continue to hope for something that seemingly was never going to come. It was too hard to trust the Lord that he was going to come through. And so as we kind of put that on pause and ponder that for a minute, we flip over to Mary. And in the very next part of this chapter, Gabriel goes to Mary, who would become the mother of the Messiah. And we get a contrast to the message that Zachariah or Zachariah receives in his response. What do we know about Mary? Mary is an interesting character in history of the church. Because some of our denominations, some of our sister denominations have made much of Mary. And they've put her on this pedestal where she was never intended to be. But at the same time, before we get too self-righteous, denominations like us have been so, so driven away from something like that that we have not given Mary her due. We have rather seen her somewhat like a postal delivery person. It's like, hey, thanks for bringing Jesus. We appreciate that. Have a great day. Mary was a bit more than that. Mary was called blessed among women. She was chosen among all of the billions of women who have existed on earth. God chose her. He saw her heart. He saw her attitude. He saw her position. And he said, that's the one. And rather than looking at Mary as something less than what we, she was, we should look at her appropriately as an example of what we should be as a disciple and servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We should not elevate her to a position beyond where she was intended, but we should also give her the respect and the consideration that she is due as a godly woman who did what the Lord asked her to do and lived a life that was worth it. So what do we know about her? We know she was young. Because she was about to get married, we know the context, we know the culture. It is very, in fact, most likely that she was between the ages of 12 and 14. Let that sink in for a moment. An angel showed up to a 12 to 14-year-old and said, Hey, I know you're not married, but you're going to have a child. That child is going to be holy, and that child is going to be the Messiah and the king of your people. If that didn't make you sit down. That's, that's a heck of a message for a young lady. She was also poor. We see that evidenced in when Joseph and her go to the temple to dedicate their firstborn. They give an offering of doves or birds rather than a lamb. It was the gift of poor people, not the gift of someone rich. She was uneducated. That's common sense. She was from a good-for-nothing town. Gabriel delivered this message in a place that was only known for bad things. Later, Nathaniel would say, what good can come from Nazareth? That was the kind of reputation that this place had. And the contrast here between her and Zechariah are evident. We have a priest, a respected man, who was older, who was educated, who was, when he got the message, was in Jerusalem, in the holy place, the very epicenter of that entire culture. And then we have Mary, an uneducated, poor girl in a town that nobody could stand. So we have these two very contrasting folks that Gabriel comes to. And Gabriel comes to her, and we see her response in this passage. He comes to her first, and he says um, there in verse 28, Greetings, O favorable one, the Lord is with you. And we see her response to that first part of the message, she is contemplating. She begins to think and to wonder, what does that mean? She knows her own status in the culture. She knows her own status among people. And she thinks to herself, I'm not special. Why would the Lord favor me? Why would the Lord think to come to me? And That was also tinged from fear. We know that because in that passage, in the first part of the next part of the response, Gabriel says to her, Gabriel says to her, don't be afraid. He calms this young girl's fears. He calms her questions about why he would come, and then he begins to lay out the plan that God had, or the message that God had given him for her. And I love her response. He gets done with that. He gives her this amazing message that she would be the mother of the promised one. And her response is, how will this be? This is a different question than what Zechariah had asked. Zechariah was asking for a sign that he may have proof of the message. Mary was asking from a position of humbleness. She was asking I don't understand. How do I fit into this? She was not considering herself to be worthy of the message. 
she was not considering herself to be something that she wasn't. Rather, she was just considering herself and saying, I I don't know how that works. She was a teenage girl. This was a valid question. And Gabriel, in his kindness and his wisdom that God had given him, lays out for her how that was to happen. And I love what he does at the end, though. At the end of this message, he lays out that this would be a different type of child, that he would be holy, that he would be set apart, that this would be a work of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 36, he does something interesting. In verse 36, he says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible from God. Do you catch what just happened? Gabriel gave her the sign that Zechariah asked for. Zechariah had said, prove it. I want something tangible that I can hold on to so that I can have faith that this is going to happen. Mary had not asked for a sign. Mary had just asked for how this was going to happen because she was a young girl who didn't understand why God would choose her. But because of her humbleness, because of her position, because of her attitude, Gabriel gives her what Zechariah had asked for. And he gives her a sign and he says, nothing's impossible with God. I have given your relative Elizabeth what she had always asked for in the timing that I saw fit. And then we have Mary give a response to that. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We pass over that phrase sometimes, and because, frankly, sometimes I think we read that and go, well, yeah. Like, if someone came to me and said, you're going to be involved in the greatest thing that God's ever done, I would say, so be it. I want to be a part of that. But we forget what Mary is agreeing to. I don't know for sure that she was thinking this, but it had to pass through her mind shortly thereafter if it didn't then. That if she was going to have a child, no one was going to believe this story. If she was going to have this child, that Joseph was never going to believe this story. That at the very least, the minimum that was going to happen is that her and this child were going to be cast out of the community. They were going to be outsiders for the rest of their life. That she was going to be mocked. That she was going to be made fun of. And that her life was going to be drastically different. At the worst, she was going to be killed. At the worst, they were going to go by the letter of the law and they were going to stone her to death. But rather than worry about those things in this moment, she trusts her Lord and says, so be it. What you, may what you say come true about me, no matter the consequences. And there are times when the message that the Lord delivers to you and to me comes with certain expectations that it may not be safe, that it may not be socially accessible, that it may cost us something. Are we the kind of people to look and to hear that message and say, so be it. I will follow you. I will trust you. And I won't worry about the rest of it because you'll take care of it. 
as we think and we ponder about these two messages. We have this priest who was faithful. We have this priest who was righteous, but he had a heart that would have been hardened. And we have this servant girl from this poor town who was uneducated, and yet she showed a heart of servanthood and humbleness and obedience that we should emulate. So what's our connection? How do, how do we... How do we, what are we supposed to glean from this? I think first when we look at Zechariah, we can learn from the importance of a life of faithfulness. It wasn't an accident that God came to this couple. They were faithful. They were blameless. They would raise this son in a way of the Lord. And we must understand that God sees our lives and he will reward that. Maybe not on this earth, but certainly in eternity. And we should try to emulate this couple and follow hard after the Lord no matter what comes into our life. We also see the value of prayer that we need to not give up. Though it may be hard, though it may be difficult, we need to continue to seek after him no matter what we hear or don't hear in the moment. But with that comes a warning. Because it is easy for us who have been believers for a long time, to become hard, isn't it? It's easy for those of us that are believers to get to the point where we just don't have that fire. It's not inevitable, though. And we need to be in the Word. We need to be reminding ourselves daily, telling ourselves daily the story of what God has done in history and in the history of our own lives so that we may keep that fire alive, so we may continue to put our hearts on the line for him so that we may follow hard after him every day of our life and so when he tells us a message we are ready to receive it we also have something from mary though we can hear from or see and learn from mary the importance of being available and having a childlike faith mary doesn't sit, look at the angel and say whoa 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 i'm getting married i can't do this now I've got this guy over here who's waiting on me. This is not the time for me to have a child. Give me like, you know, a year or so, and then we can talk. Because that's always good to tell God. No, she says, let it be so. She is ready, she is available, and she is willing with a childlike faith to follow hard after what God is asking her and telling her to do. And we should emulate that. We should be ready. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. I, I don't know what God is saying to you this morning. This isn't a message that really requires a response, so to speak. Rather, it's a message that asks you to look at your own heart and examine who you are and where you're at. Maybe you're like Zachariah and you have lived faithfully, but you have come a long ways and now you find yourself a little calloused, a little hard-hearted, and you're not quite sure that God still acts that way. Will you hear the message this morning that he still desires to use you in his kingdom and he still performs miracles? And he still desires for people to hear the message of the kingdom, a message of hope, 
will you soften your heart and allow him to do that for you? Maybe you're young and you think, I don't know what God could use me for. Will you allow him to tell you that and direct your path in that? Maybe you're here and you've never heard this message at all. You don't know what it means for God to speak to you. You don't know what it means to have a relationship with him. Allow him to, to examine that this morning. Come and ask one of us. We would be happy to talk to you about it. Whatever it is, ask the Lord to speak to you in this moment. And then respond in the way that he is telling you to. Let's pray.